Welcome to this Mount Pleasant Baptist Church podcast recorded at our Thornley campus. We're glad you've joined us and we pray that the Lord will speak to you and encourage you through this message. Uh, great to have you with us at Thornley and uh, great to, for me to be here. It's one of those strange things. I feel like I'm a visitor in one sense, uh, but I'm also just at home. I'm just, I feel like I've come home, which is a great thing. Uh, just as we begin, let me um, just commend this book to you. It's, uh, it's called Seeing and Savouring Jesus Christ, a book by John Piper. It's our book of the month. It's a fairly easy read. It's got short chapters with a, a prayer at the end of each chapter. A nice little Christmas present. And you can order your copy uh, today from Seeds. We don't have copies here, but you can order them from Seeds. Lindy will help you with that out at the info booth at the back there. And uh, I'd suggest you read it yourself and then wrap it up for someone else for Christmas. <laughs> I'll never know. I would never do that, obviously. But I think pretty sure some of you would. <laughs> uh, look, it's a book that uh, asks the very question posed by our new series, Who is Jesus? Arguably the most important question you will ever ask or answer in your life. Eternity hangs on this question and your answer to this question. According to Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. The most important name you will ever speak or know or hear, Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth and the life. Amen? He's the way to the Father. He's the truth about the Father. He's the life of the Father. No one comes to the Father, actually, except through Jesus. It's extraordinary truth. He's the pathway to your salvation, the only pathway. There is no other. And so you'll hear the name of Jesus proclaimed in worship uh, here in this church every single week without exception. And uh, as many of you have discovered, you can travel all over the world and attend churches all over the world and hear the name of Jesus proclaimed. Interestingly, you'll also hear the name of Jesus used in nearly every schoolyard and university and workplace, sporting event, right across our country, not used in worship, but in anger or frustration, used in ignorance. Blasphemy is not um, a word that you come across very often anymore, is it? The word blasphemy. And yet we know that uh, the third of the Ten Commandments is you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Jesus Christ, the name above all names. If you've thought about this, it fascinates me that, uh, that this is the name that people use in that context. Of all of the names, of all of the people in history. You know, you don't uh, see anyone bang their thumb with a hammer and say, Al, Charles Darwin. That hurt. You know, you stub your toe. Oh, William Shakespeare, I've stubbed my, t-, you know. I mean, try it sometime. Try a different name. You get some funny looks. Oh. Nick Scott. <laughs> Actually, that's it's somehow got a ring about it, doesn't it? <laughs> My wife uses that one. 
Interesting, isn't it? Jesus. Jesus, that hurt. Widely used, universally recognised. You know, there's a whole generation coming through our Australian society who have no idea even who Jesus is. This is the, a generation that's come through without Sunday school background, like many of us older folk would have had. No idea who he is or what he's done or what he continues to do today. So for many, Jesus Christ is merely an expression. Um, no longer even found offensive. You know, when I was a lad, it would have been considered offensive. Today, you attend a footy match and someone shouts, uh, Jesus Christ, umpire. You know, it's like just an expression. No one bats an eyelid. It's not, it's not offensive. It's just, it's just a word. I remember... Um, Graham Mabry telling the story of a guy purchasing a cross necklace at a jewellery store and the young female attendant asking him, uh, sorry, did you want the, uh, the plain one or the one with the little man on it? Wow, yeah, wow. I mean, no idea. No idea even what that represents or who that little man is. Do you want the one with the little man on it? Who is Jesus? Well, on the surface, he's a bit of a nobody. He never wrote a book. He never owned real estate. He never ran a business. He never accumulated any wealth to speak of. He never held any official position of power or influence, official by the world's standards. Born in poverty and obscurity. He was a baby in a manger, son of a carpenter. Uh, he was a teacher. He was a good man. And, you know, by all reports, reliable reports, he helped people. But he performed miracles. I mean, that's one of the things that sets him apart. He created a stir, certainly with the establishment, religious and government authorities. And then at the age of 33, let me remind you, 33 is pretty young, isn't it? For many of us, uh, 33 is a distant memory. <laughs> Some of us in the room are yet to come to that grand old age. 33, at 33, Jesus was accused of blasphemy. The irony. And uh, sentenced to death by crucifixion on a cross. 33 short years of life, mainly lived in the obscure backwaters of small Israeli towns. A life that in so many ways was obscure and forgettable and insignificant. And yet, and yet, according to Time magazine, which uh, we know it's one of the best-known secular publications, according to Time magazine, their list of the 100 most significant figures in history. Who do you think ranks number one on that list? Jesus. The most significant figure in all of history, according to Time magazine. So this morning we'll take a quick look at the phrase, Jesus is Lord, which is, I'd suggest, the key defining creedal declaration not only of the New Testament church but also of the church down through the ages right up to the current day and this church Thornley Community Church Jesus is Lord it's our key creedal declaration and as we'll see this morning it's not only a powerful collective declaration of the church but a deeply personal and individual declaration you can declare with the masses here this morning that Jesus is Lord but what I'd invite you to consider carefully is the question of whether or not Jesus is Lord over your life. 
And I'd like to make three observations about this statement, Jesus is Lord, and uh, perhaps unusually I'm going to work my way kind of backwards through the text, beginning very broadly and uh, then kind of tapering into a, a personalised application. Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Don't worry, I'm not going to read it backwards. I'll read it forwards so we can all follow along. But this is what Paul writes. He says, in your relationships with one another, I could read it off. This is like one of those eye tests. You know, so I actually need to face this way. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Surely one of the most magnificent scriptures in the whole of the Bible. Well, my first observation about that statement, Jesus is Lord, is that this is a, a factual statement. Uh, Paul's declaration at the end of this reading is that God has raised Jesus up to the highest possible place and given him, as we've uh, been singing today, the name that is above every other name. And Paul's declaration that Jesus is Lord is in the context that the day will come when regardless of people's personal choices and personal views and personal opinions, personal beliefs, every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. In other words... Paul's not just sharing his opinion about something. He's not saying, oh, well, you know, in my view, in my view, Jesus is Lord, but, you know, you might have a different Lord, you might have a different idea about that, and that's fine. He's not saying that. What he's saying is this, this is the way that it is, objectively. It's not a subjective statement, it's an objective statement. Jesus is Lord. It's a factual statement. Now, obviously, not everyone recognises that fact, but... According to Paul, the day will come when they will recognise that fact and they'll see it. So we could have a discussion today around, you know, who's the best player in the AFL or what's the best song ever written? And uh, there'd be numerous opinions around the room about that. Uh, Hudson here would have a very clear Eagles answer to the best AFL question. Uh, others would say, I, you know what, I couldn't care less. I don't even follow football. I don't listen to music. I don't care what the, uh, what the best song is. The point is, we'd all have our different opinions. In the end, you have your opinion, I have my opinion, so very subjective. We could have another discussion about who is currently Queen of the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth. The answer is Elizabeth II. She is the Queen, and that's the fact of the matter. Now, you might have your views about whether that's a good thing or not. You might feel strongly that Australia actually should be a republic. Many people hold that view. Some of you might even 
dig your heels in and say, well, she might be the queen, but she's not my queen. Well, I've got news for you. Actually, if you're an Australian citizen, we live in a constitutional monarchy. Whether you like it or not, she is the queen. She is your queen. It's just a fact. And in the same way, when Paul says that Jesus is Lord, he's not just giving us his opinion or expressing his view. <clears throat> he's saying that in the broadest possible sense, ultimately, this is a statement of fact. Jesus is Lord. Having defeated once and for all the power of death on the cross, returning from the grave, which no one else, by the way, has ever done, and or some have, they haven't sustained it, they eventually die. Lazarus, he came back from the grave and he died. Jesus came back from the grave, defeated the power of death, having come back from the dead. He says this about himself, a remarkable statement. He says, all authority... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Fact. There is no higher authority. There is no greater name. Jesus is Lord, Lord of all the earth, Lord of the universe, Lord of all things. And uh, you may choose not to believe that, not to acknowledge that. But if Paul is right, then the day will come when you'll have no choice, no option but to believe because you will meet Jesus face to face and you will see him as he really is. And you'll have no option but to fall to your knees. You'll have no other option than to cry Lord because you will just see that that is the way things are. Jesus is Lord, factual statement. Second observation about this statement is that it's a faith statement. Now I began my life in March 1967, when I was born in Adelaide, um, I'll do the maths for you, that makes me 54 years old. I know some of you are thinking, wow, he looks about 64. <laughs> the years have not been kind. March 1967. <laughs> I didn't exist before that. Jesus, on the other hand, did not begin his existence when he was born in Bethlehem. He existed before he was born. The teaching of scripture is that in his pre-existent state, Christ was associated with the very work of creation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh, familiar with John chapter 1. He was instrumental in the creation. By him, Colossians 1 all things were created, visible and invisible. All things were created by him and for him. That's a staggering assertion to make about someone who physically walked around and ate and drank and slept and laughed, wept. Hard to get your head around, isn't it? By him, somehow all things were created. Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to say that Jesus Christ, in the present, in the current state of things, he sustains this whole universe that we now live in. Again, it's Colossians 1.17. says, for by him, all things hold together. How is nature around our planet, how is nature kept in balance? How does that work? Jesus. How do all the stars and planets and galaxies somehow uh, hang together and hold together? How does that even, how does that work? 
Well, Jesus is the answer. You might think, wow, that just somehow seems hard to believe. It doesn't seem very scientific. And so, yes, now we taper down from that broad, objective, factual statement that Jesus is Lord to a more personalized statement of faith. So, wow, do I really believe that? Do I believe that myself in my heart? See, your eternal salvation is not determined by your future final acknowledgement at the end of time of the fact that Jesus is Lord. Your eternal salvation is determined by your present statement of personal faith in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10.9, I'm sure many of you know it, says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. The confession is outward, the belief is inward, the salvation's eternal. Have a look at this next verse in Corinthians. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that a person can make that heartfelt confession that Jesus is Lord. In other words, this is not something you'll figure out yourself purely by your own you know, research and ingenuity. No, it's by the Holy Spirit who, uh, as I preached a few weeks ago here, it's God who initiates that. It's the Spirit of God that plants that seed of faith in your heart and enables you to cry, Jesus is Lord, with that childlike faith, that childlike declaration that says, actually, I believe this myself. Yes, it's a broad factual statement, but I believe it myself. Jesus is Lord. Third observation about this statement is that it's a formative statement. And here um, I'm going to end with where the reading begins in verse 5, which says, let me remind you, uh, it says... In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. In your relationships with one another, not only should you imitate Jesus, but you should also have an active awareness, a consciousness of the lordship of Jesus in all of your relationships. Is Jesus Lord of all of your relationships? So much of life's about relationships, isn't it? It's uh, interesting, most of us compartmentalise our relationships as we find ourselves in different contexts. I mean, just think about this, you know, we have, we have a social, we have, we have work colleagues and we have family relationships. Uh, then we have social relationships, which them themselves are often further compartmentalised. So maybe you have some church friends that you're forming here in this context, but uh, you also are maybe part of a tennis club or you go to a gym or you're in a cycling group or you're a, in some sort of gathering of, of old school friends that meets together every so often. So for many of us, we, we have these different groups, but in many cases, those groups don't ever intersect with one another. Those relationships stay in their separate designated compartments. So maybe as you sit here this morning, you think, oh, I've got these work friends. They don't even know that I come to church on a Sunday morning. Those are kind of separate worlds, separate lives. And here's the question. I reckon this is a really interesting question. Are you the same person in each of those different contexts? Or do you adjust according to your relational environment? Is your character consistent across those different relationships or do you blend in with the group that you're in at the time and so is there language that you use at work or at school that you'd never use at home 
or in your church? Are there activities in which you participate? Is there behavior or conversation you would engage in with one social group that actually you'd be horrified if another social group discovered that you were doing or saying those things? Well, then there's one final compartment, which is your relationship with yourself. Who are you when no one else is looking? Who are you when you're by yourself? What do you get up to? What do you watch? What do you search for online? Who are you really? What masks do you put on even as you come to church this morning to protect yourself and hide from others what's really going on in your life? You know, I can't speak for women, but I can speak on behalf of the many men that I speak to who, in so many cases, are reluctant to come into leadership roles in a church because they know what they get up to in private. They would say, well, if you knew what I was really like, maybe it's the same for women. If you knew what I was really like, you wouldn't want me in a leadership role. What's really going on in your life? So many questions, but they all lead to one question, and this is really where the rubber hits the road, because in declaring that Jesus is Lord, you can be giving mental assent to a factual statement that's objectively true in a universal sense, or you can declare Jesus as Lord as a faith statement. Here's the key question. Is Jesus truly your Lord? Is Jesus truly Lord over all your relationships, over your marriage, over your family, over your work life, over your social life? Is Jesus Lord in all of those different relationships, all of those different contexts in a way that forms and forges your character and your behavior in such a way that in all your relationships you are nurturing the mindset of Jesus and acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus? in all of those relationships. See, that mindset, you know, Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. Remember he says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love him. But we have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. God grants you the mind of Christ and that mindset relentlessly walks the path of humility and of unselfish concern for others. You see, when God became flesh and dwelt among us, there's good reason why, as we look back, we think, actually, he seemed like a bit of a nobody. Yes, well, he, you know what, he, and I mean this with no disrespect, he was, he became a nobody. By choice. This was his mindset. He emptied himself, not of his divinity. He was always in the form of God, in very nature God. He remained God in flesh, but he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? That's an important question. Well, many answers to that. Certainly he emptied himself of his glory, of his majesty. He emptied himself of his rights. He had all the rights. The one through whom all things were created. He emptied himself of any sense of entitlement. He was entitled, he entitled everything. He emptied himself of that. 
He chose to become nobody. He emptied himself of any grasping after power or ambition. The King James says, he made himself of no reputation. This was the mindset of Jesus. The one through whom all things were made, the one in whom all things hold together, made himself nothing, taking on the form of a slave or a servant, a nobody. He became a nobody. Jesus is Lord and if he's your Lord, then in your relationships with one another, at home, at work, at play, pursue the mindset of Jesus. Wow, that's a challenge. That flies in the face of everything the world will tell you to do. Imitate him. Give him that place of lordship. Allow him to change your heart. Allow him to transform your world, all of it, your relationships. Just ask Lucy to play a song that most of you will know. It's an oldie but a goodie. <laughs> You're not sure how far back this song goes. I was born in 1967. I think I've been singing it all my life. He is Lord, He is Lord. He's risen from the dead, He's Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Let's just bow in prayer. And as we are bowed in prayer, Let me just simply encourage you in the quietness of your mind just to consider those various compartments of relationships. Whatever your family context is, think of your family. Think of the place where you live. Think of the different rooms of your house, the different relationships that you share, that you love. Is Jesus Lord over your home? Is he Lord over your family? Is he Lord over your marriage? Is he Lord over your children, your sibling relationships, brothers and sisters? Think of your work. Maybe even in your mind's eye, just imagine the desk you sit at or the nature of your work station, your work environment, the people you work with. As you engage in your work day to day, is Jesus Lord in that context for you? Maybe in your social life, you have a few drinks with friends. Maybe you go to a few parties. Is Jesus Lord over your social life? And significantly, when you're on your own and no one's around and you're flicking through your phone or you're watching something on Netflix, is Jesus Lord why don't you just invite Jesus to reign as Lord in all those different contexts?
Lord, we thank you that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That you see us as we are, even the things that no one else sees. You see all of that. But Lord, you don't condemn us. You love us. You accept us, that you receive us as we are, but you don't leave us as we are, and you don't want us to stay as we are. And so, Lord, we acknowledge and proclaim together your Lordship and ask that you would help us in those areas where we tend to overly compartmentalise. Help us, Lord, we pray. Thank you for joining us. We would love to hear from you. If you would like prayer, please submit a prayer request at mounties.org.au forward slash prayer or send an email to communications at mounties.org.au and one of our team will be in contact. Have a great week.